Hello, friend. Thanks for tuning in. Things I used to judge myself for that I don't anymore. I don't know how I'm going to fit that into the title of this podcast, but that is the working title of this podcast. I'm going to start with a really, really big thing that I've judged myself for, and I'm going to list some other smaller things in the middle, and then I'm going to end with another big thing that I've judged myself for. So we've got a couple bookends. I've got some really fun scripture passages to riff on. I'm super excited to share everything in this podcast. So buckle up. It's going to be awesome. Thing number one I have often judged myself for is being interesting. I've also heard the word crazy a lot to the point where it became part of my reputation and I learned to accept it as a compliment even though it really did sting. And I want to point out um, some of the benefits of good interesting. Now, I've definitely done a lot of bad interesting things that I have judged myself for. Let me start with the bad interesting first. This is bad interesting. I feel insecure. Let me redirect this conversation to be about myself. Interesting. I feel like showing off because I can. Interesting. (laughs) I've had a lot of practice at that one. (sighs) Yes, X behavior is socially acceptable, but isn't that all about you? Interesting. So now that we have those bad forms of interesting documented, let's talk about the good forms, the much-needed healthy forms of interesting. That was uncomfortable, but necessary interesting. You know, how many times there'll be a social interaction where someone else is practicing bad interesting and, you know, no one wants to tell that person that metaphorically their tag is sticking out of their shirt. Socially awkward, but better after interesting. Truthful, but loving interesting. I'm not thinking of any good examples for these, but this last one... um, I've got, (laughs) these last two I have examples for. So, um, quote, I forgot that the Bible tells us to clap. Interesting. Now, I did a quick word search, and clapping is used, is referenced in a few different ways. And here's three primary ones that stood out to me. Psalm 47, Psalm 98, and Isaiah 55, all specifically Connect clapping to an expression of joy and fulfillment and, you know, I will bring you into a land of peace, that sort of thing. But that, if that's the only time that we use clapping in our regular life, we are missing out. Let me bring you to the book of Ezekiel, my calling book. Like, I... Mm. Ezekiel is my calling. I don't know how to explain that without way getting off topic. So let, let's just go to Ezekiel 6 and 21. Both of those reference clapping as a way of making warfare against sin. Now, this is, this is powerful, but this is also uncomfortable. So if you've never been around a prayer warrior who claps when they praise, the first time that happens, you're kind of a little jolted. Um, I didn't grow up with this. I had to experience it through my pair partner when I lived in Florida. And I'm very, very thankful that she was much more practiced at this than I was. And I'm going to read from you Ezekiel 21, verse 14 through 17, English Standard Version. Thank you. Is it Crossway? I believe it's Crossway. Yeah. I'm going to read from you Ezekiel 21, 14 through 17 ESV, because this is the strongest explanation of making war 
in prayer and using clapping. Hang with me. As for you, son of man, prophesy. Clap your hands and let the sword come down twice, yet three times, the sword for those to be slain. It is the sword for the great slaughter which surrounds them, that their hearts may melt and many stumble. At all their gates I have given the glittering sword. Ah, it is made like lightning, it is taken up for slaughter. Cut sharply to the right, set yourself to the left, wherever your face is directed. I will also clap my hands and I will satisfy my fury. I, the Lord, have spoken. Ezekiel 21. Now, I've, I don't know if you know the context of this, of these few scriptures, but this is in the larger context. At the beginning of the book, he says, I am sending you to a people, not a people of unfamiliar tongue, but of familiar tongue. If you were to go to people who don't, didn't hear, speak the same language, it'd be easier actually, because the Israelites are not going to listen to you, Ezekiel, but because they're not listening to me. But I will make your forehead like flint and do not fear their words. And they will know that a prophet has walked among them. And that is a loose paraphrase from Ezekiel 2 or 3. So go check out yourself because it's an amazingly powerful book. And you're a big person who can download the Bible app or open it up yourself and read it. So yes, clapping, just just clap when you pray sometime. Do it by yourself. It's healthy. It's a good habit to, to know that you can get into. The, you know, the Bible calls us to raise our hands. The Bible calls us to dance. The Bible calls us to bow before the Lord. You know, we, when we put our body into a physical position, it reminds our soul of what we are doing. It reminds our emotions what we're doing with our spirit. And it, it helps us to keep focused on what we're doing spiritually in that moment. So when the Bible gives you a physical action directive, take it seriously. It's powerful. There's a reason it's all in here. And then the other mention of clapping in the Bible is Nahum 3, which is the downfall of evil, and there's a wicked, wicked city, and it basically summarizes, to summarize it, you know, who hasn't been harmed by your evil? We're going to clap when you're gone. So, and that's back, that principle is backed up in Proverbs, and, you know, the righteous rejoice when good people are in power, and I'll let, let me let me get back on before any of our brains tangent on that one. So, the second example of good interesting that I have is unexpected but surprisingly spirit-filled interesting. Now, I have a I have a wonderful awkward example for this. So, um So this is a combination of bad interesting good interesting and I'm going to tell the full story properly so y'all can benefit from my awkwardness. So when I attended Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale for, oh gosh, I lived in Florida for nine years and I went to church plant for the last two years. So technically I attended Calvary Chapel for seven years, but we were still closely associated with them. So I feel like I attended Calvary Chapel for nine years. I love that church. I love that body. I love Pastor Bob Coy, who's now just plain Bob Coy. I love Pastor Doug Souter. I know so many people there. Like mm, those are those are my people. Whew. Many of them have been very patient with me, as you will see. Billy Venencia, Pastor Billy, Billy V, love you, bro. Okay, so um, I was new to Calvary Chapel, and I attended the young adult night on Wednesday. And I made the foolish, selfish, I feel like showing off interesting decision to um, dance, improvise, 
on the last song during worship. And that was very self-filled and it was inappropriate and indecent and no one died, but it I it would have been better if I'd not done that. And uh Pastor Billy Venencia very kindly took me aside and said, Hey, that that was about you and self and that wasn't good, so just don't do that again, okay? Cool. Cool. Super gracious about it. And I was like, man, yeah, I really was in the wrong, but he was really nice about that. Because I've, I've made that mistake before. Shocker, I know. Yeah, I did that at Grace Fellowship back when I was 18, 17. I, 17, yeah. Anyways. So Pastor B was really chill about it. I was like, man, I kind of got off with that really easy. <laughs> Stay tuned. So, um, I want to say maybe even a few years go by, and I'm still at church, attending, doing my thing, and I hear Pastor Bob give a sermon on Caleb saying, I have walked the desert 40 years to be in the promised land. I was faithful when the other 10 spies were unfaithful and I want my mountain. I I am, I want my mountain. Please give me my mountain. And there's just this sense of poetic fulfillment of faithfulness and long waiting. And that passage of scripture and the way he preached on it really moved me. It was good. So, um, I decided to walk up for the altar call and I just felt that that was something I was supposed to do. Um, and as I walk up, they're singing the closing song and I would like to observe that this particular closing song, I don't remember what it was, so I can't name names, (laughs) but um, this closing song was one in particular that never resonated with me. I did not connect with it at all. I was kind of like, why do we sing this song so much? It was one of those songs. So, I was just as surprised as anyone else that I started to dance at the front of the auditorium of 3,000 people, and I probably had the jib camera on me live or whatever, so, you know, that might have gotten streamed to the internet. I don't know. I'll hear about it one day when I'm on the other side. Anyways, so I did that for a few seconds, and basically the entire church saw that. And... My dear friend, Pastor Bob, who did not know me then, but knew me thereafter, gave me a look. And uh, this was one of the looks that you parents might know. You, you know, you've seen this from your parents, like, you, you better cut that out right now. It's one of those kind of looks. So I snapped out of it, and I did not move. And we did the prayer and the closing song, and I got tapped on the shoulder and pulled aside. And uh, basically, uh, I got chewed out. I got chewed out. Very, very appropriately, because I had already been told by Pastor Billy Venencia that that was not acceptable behavior. Here's the interesting spirit-filled part. The head of security came up to me afterwards, and I'm sitting in the corner crying, literally. The head of security came up, and in pastor in churches this large, you have armed police officers undercover near the front at all times because... This is South Florida, and crazy people happen. So, um, so the head of security came up to me and said that he thought that was planned. He and his entire team 
thought that Pastor Bob told me to do that and just didn't tell them. And it wasn't until I stopped dancing that they realized it was otherwise. If they hadn't thought that, they they probably would have like t- tackled me or something, you know. Respectfully so. But, um, so my point is this. Number one, <laughs> consequences happen, and I got my just desserts. And two, when something, when a behavior is spirit-filled, and I already told you, I did not like that song, but here I was dancing to it, and two, the security guards thought it was scheduled when something is spirit filled it is appropriate even if it is not socially accepted and I don't know how to explain that except to tell you all the details of that story which is what I just did so now that I've bared my soul hooray let's move on to other forms of interesting Other forms of things I have judged myself for that I no longer judge myself for because I realize that God made me this way. And to comment on the good interesting part versus the bad interesting part, God made me a unique personality. If you've known me for any amount of time, you, you know that about me. It's just, it's just who I am. I've got a different quirky personality. That, that's a good thing. But when God gives us gifts, we have to learn how to walk in them. And I believe it's Ephesians where he says, he has created us for good works and prepared them for us beforehand that we might walk in them. And I had that up on my bulletin board for a long time with the phrase underneath, walk worthy of the calling you've received. And I really need to learn those passages better, but that goes for all of scripture and that goes for all of life, trying to learn more scripture. So here we are. But the point is that when God gives us talents, We're going to make mistakes learning how to use them. We're going to make mistakes. And very often, God will allow us safe places to fail so that we will realize what is in our hearts, so we will go to him and repent. And the closer that our heart is to God, when the easier those safe places and the safer those safe places to fail are. That is a principle I have found throughout my life and I've got a vlog about that and I will try to remember to put that link in the description but it's the one about I didn't plan to go mudding and there's a picture of me pointing to my beautiful car stuck in the mud because I didn't plan to go mudding but God totally worked it out and you'll have to go watch that video to see how that turned out so other things I used to judge myself for that's actually part of how he made me is the love of fashion I love color I love texture I love layers I love I love there was this book There was this art book I had when I was homeschooled and they had the word Mona Lisa in the name or something. I I totally forget. I can see the cover in my mind. It had Mona Lisa on the front and a white border. But this art book explained how when your eye enters a painting, it travels from this person pointing their finger through this mast and then this wave crashes this way and then you come back down to the bottom of the life raft and I can see that piece of artwork in my mind and it's some kind of shipwreck and I can't remember the name of it for the life of me, but basically study the way that your eye travels in a painting and a very well-designed painting will have a continuous flow to it and a poorly designed painting 
is going to be jolty and it'll be this thing here, but it's not really connected to stuff. And that is the part of art that um, people get really good at the technical part of it, making sure that you can draw an eye perfectly and the shape and the expression. But if you don't format and structure your artwork, design it, so to speak, graphic design is a thing. So go, go take some graphic design classes, yo, artist people. So if you don't design your painting, it's not going to be as powerful or beautiful or visually pleasing because we're, we're, there's this psychology to artwork and I'm so passionate about it and I'm a visual artist and I'm so thankful God made me that way. And I, I'm a visual artist with a perfect auditory memory, so I can replay movie scenes in my head that I haven't seen in years and remember the exact intonation and all of that stuff. And it's, I mean, it's a curse, but it's also a blessing. So I have to learn to walk with that. So I can't watch trashy movies because that stuff sticks with me. I can't read trashy books because I visualize it and then it sticks with me. And I remember a book I read that was poorly written from when I was 16. That was 14, 15 freaking years ago. And I, I'm, I constantly think, man, I wish he'd written that better. But anyways, I digress. Let me tell you the story of how I figured out that the love of fashion was not a sin. <laughs> there is a family at my church with five, almost six daughters. And one of their little ones was not quite three, maybe two and three quarters at the time. And she's got this thick baby accent, but she loved telling me that she liked my boots and she liked this thing that I was wearing. And over time, like you have to understand this family, these girls are homeschooled and they have wonderful, healthy parents. There's no magazines in this house. This two-year-old girl did not manufacture this love of fashion and outfits from, from comparing herself to Instagram or reading Vogue or anything like that. This little girl is born with a love of fashion to the point where it is a gift of God that her mom finds cute boots with black patent leather, you know, faux leather, but still black patent leather and, you know, a little heart on on the side. And she is so excited about these boots. Y'all have no idea. And it's the most precious thing. And she's got this leopard print dress. The girl just turned three and her baby accents faded, but like she loves changing her outfits throughout the day. And can I tell you, that is me. That is 100% me. I'm not so much a leopard print person, but I love changing my outfits. I love all my textures and my oh, mm, <clears throat> clothes. It's a thing. And South Florida had some really good thrift. So, so when I realized that this two and a, two and a half year old girl genuinely had the gift of fashion and outfitting and a genuine love for that. I, it validated me very deeply. Um, yeah. My mom's not very girly, but I'm definitely very girly. And I grew up with two brothers and my dad and my mom. So there was no other girls to validate that girliness about me. And I was homeschooled my entire life. I didn't go to public school or even private school to compare with anybody. I didn't fit in a church because I was interesting, as we already know. Um, and my family was dysfunctional, so I wasn't particularly socially um, comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Um, 
I had one friend growing up. One. And I'll I'll never know how much Jessica mean to me. And I'll never know what I mean to her because we, we needed each other for that season. So, um, but Jessica herself wasn't even that girly. It was more her mom. But anyways, so I didn't get validation for my girliness growing up. But here, you know, however many decades later, there's a two-year-old and she loves her leopard print dress and her black patent boots And if God gifted her with that, then he certainly gifted me with that. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. And I don't know... (laughs) I don't know how God's going to use that for his glory, but he uses beauty in the strangest places. And if you read the book of Esther, God gave her that opportunity because of her beauty. He has a purpose for it. And I'm still asking God about that, so stay tuned. There will probably be a podcast on that at some point in existence. So now that we've covered my love of fashion, um, I'm going to touch on one more and then hit the wrap-up topic. So if you heard my podcast on sleep, you know that I am just naturally a more tired person. I do not have the same amount of energy as everyone else. And to all those people out there saying, oh, if I can do it, anyone can. And you just got to bust your butt and hustle and get motivated. I respectfully tell you, no, not everyone is wired that way. And Gary Vaynerchuk, bless his soul, May he come to know Jesus if he doesn't, because he probably doesn't. If it, he's a passionate dude. If he knew Jesus, he would be talking about him. Really, think about it. So Gary Vaynerchuk, bless his soul, is blessed with some kind of ATP Krebs energy cycle on a cellular level that I cannot even comprehend. And I'm extremely jealous of. But just enough, that would be a nice way, and I'm content with what I have. And... Amy Carmichael ran her ministry from her bed the last few years of her life and wrote books to prove it and prayed. And most of life is praying and showing up. So if you're a Spoonie, um, and I need to put a link in that. I need to take notes on the links I need to put in my videos. So what did I say? Spoonie. And then, oh, the vlog about mudding. Okay, got it. Thank you. Alright, I have that written down because my brain is woo flower power shiny. Um Gary Vaynerchuk has more energy. Amy Carmichael ran a ministry from her bed. Amy Carmichael has a spiritual legacy. Sorry, Gary. So now that I've got that topic wrapped, let's talk about my desire to be famous. There is so many factors in this cocktail of... But here goes. So um, I used to think that this was a idolatry desire. Um, as I've mentioned before, I didn't get the validation I needed from my family. My middle brother had a lot of energy, and so that took up a lot of the family focus, and I really quenched my natural expression of myself for the sake of family function. And the unfortunate effect of that was that when I went to places that truly accepted me, like Ballet Magnificat in the summer of 2002, I believe, and um, Summit Ministries in Colorado Springs, Colorado, Manitou Springs. When I went to those camps, you know, one week at Ballet Mag- no, two weeks total, eh. Those weeks I spent at those camps, four weeks total, 
those were the four weeks I was most myself before the age of 21. And let me tell you something. It was like a plant that was starving had good soil for two weeks at age 14 and two weeks at age 17 and then went back to walking through hell. I exploded in the most beautiful, crazy way possible, but my best friend who I met, my longest-running best friend, I've known her since 2004, when she met me at Summit, she did not like me because I was crazy, and understandably so. But somehow, by the grace of God, I sent out an email blast asking for prayer, and she responded. And then I wrote back, and she replied again. And we will both tell you that we are stronger for that friendship, and we are stronger as Christians because she chose to reach out and be my friend three years after when I sent on that prayer request in 2007. So, so yeah, I've always been interesting. And it's, and, and when you grow up in an environment where no one has the emotional energy or resources to put up with your immature expressions of how God made you, then you end up experiencing that again later in life in a different environment when you're healthier. And that was South Florida for me. Calvary Chapel was, (laughs) I was 21 when I moved there, but that allowed me to live and make the mistakes I needed to make in my teen years. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Hit me up if it doesn't make sense, and I'll make another podcast about it. So, I wanted to be famous, and my initial motivation for that was just wanting people to understand me and wanting to be approved. I'm a weird person. I'm an INFJ, so I'm logical, but I'm emotional but I'm sensitive, but I care deeply about quality and efficacy and making sure it gets done exactly just this certain way to have this desired effect. That's the definition of efficacy. Whereas most of America is all about efficiency and how quickly can we do this thing for a desired end result for a profit margin that's acceptable to us and or the shareholders, which is wonderful. Efficiency is a wonderful thing. I'm just terrible at it. (laughs) I'm good at everything except functioning. (sighs) Breathing hard, sleeping hard, eating hard, pooping hard. I'm taking diatomaceous earth and that's helping the pooping. But anyways, art, easy, 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 easy. Maturity, hard, but that's part of being a person. So that's how God made me. I'm ridiculously talented at all these other things, but it took me freaking decades to figure out how to work them. Like, it's like a baby giraffe. Baby giraffe can, like, it's cute, but it's topsy-turvy. Like, the, like the physics of having long limbs are very complicated. So, so I am like, I was like a baby giraffe, both physically and emotionally. Woo! I've got all these long limbs and I can go super tall, but what do I... I... I'm all over the place. So, baby giraffe. Yeah. So, um... Throughout the years, I've had people tell me and affirm that I would be famous. And my initial call, God's initial call in my life said... And I just, I just heard him say this in his spirit. This was not my feelings making this up. It was, if you want to do something big with your life, ask your mom for ballet lessons. And it was almost specific word for word, just like that. 
And that's very rare, but on the occasion, it's pivoted my direction in life. I wouldn't have asked for ballet if God hadn't told me that. And my mom would not have known to get me ballet lessons if I hadn't asked her. And if I hadn't taken ballet, I don't know that I ever would have left home. I, I don't even know where I'd be. I'd have all the same struggles, but I'd be much weaker and just, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. I'd be physically weaker. I'd be mentally and emotionally weaker. Like ballet teaches you persistence and discipline. And this class was hard and awkward, but you get back up and you show up next week or next day, depending on your intensity. Just like know anybody who's going to the gym to lose weight you know you've got days where you show up and it's just cruddy but you get credit for showing up that's that's life pray and show up I did a watercolor for that I might turn it into a print we'll have to see so I've had people validate me in this calling over the years But there's still always been this shame that's kind of hung over me. And something clicked this past week. Something really, really deep clicked. So I have a morning glory flower outside my my porch. Initially, when it popped up last year, I thought it was a weed, but I didn't bother to pull it. And then the leaves were pretty, and I was like, oh, I'll just leave that there. And then it started blooming, and I realized what it was, and I nurtured it. I had two, maybe three plants here, and a bunch of flowers and a bunch of seeds. And I saved those seeds, and I spread them out, and I planted them, and... And I had faith, you know, God, please help these seeds to come up. And this year they did. And it is a jungle out there. (laughs) And those poor morning glories, they are wired. They are created to send out these soft, fuzzy tendrils and reach up. And with the fuzzy tendrils, they discern, is there a thing here? Let me wrap around it and climb up. That is how that plant was designed. Now, I did a bad job cultivating them initially. So those fuzzy tendrils wound around each other. And if you think my hair is crazy, the day I spent... Last weekend, I spent three hours untangling all the tendrils so that they would have more room to breathe, and I tried to transplant a few, and I have now started um, putting twine between my pillars so that the, the morning glories have something to climb, and they are going to town. It is crazy. There's like, you know, you know, one a good one healthy vine is easily five feet long. I'm not even kidding you. So, I hope I really hope that I can do this and cultivate them next year, so that I can like plant them specifically and they can be super strong. And I want to I want to try again. <laughs> so, um, so as I was untangling these vines. Saturday a week ago. They reminded me of my hair. And they reminded me of me. And I love the flower. It's this light lavender purple. It is also my favorite color. Um, I'm more of a deep purple person. But I really like. Not fuchsia. Ugh, but like rich. Um, rich violet purple. So. Um. So as I thought about it, the Lord showed me, I designed this plant to climb. 
and I designed you to climb. I've I want people to see my art. I want people to see Jesus in my dance and I want them to be strengthened and I get enough feedback from what I put out to know that it does bless people and the anointing is there and it's it's powerful and it's ministering to people and the amazing thing about dance is that it can be understood by any language. There's no language barrier to movement. Every culture speaks movement. So, one, I realized that God designed those plants to climb. And then, two, there is this concept, and I overheard Vanessa Van Edwards share this in an interview, which I will link because I truly think that everyone needs to watch this interview. It's really just that good. And she mentioned the principle that we all have resources that we need. And so one resource is money, obviously, but another resource is status. And I'm sure there's others, but she didn't mention them. But status is the one that I needed to know about. And status is just getting attention. And so she had an employee that she was really appreciative of and she rearranged her budget to give this girl a raise and come to find out what she really wanted was a director position and more recognition and having her being in more YouTube videos with Vanessa and that sort of thing. So status is what that girl wanted. And the more I thought about the climbing morning glories and this whole status principle and God, the way that he designed me and wired me, the more I realized that that desire for status isn't wrong. Truly, it can be a source of idolatry just like anything else, but honestly, that's how God wired me. And it's a good thing because if I'm going to minister to people, I need to want to be respected by them so that I have the moral authority with which to earn the right to be heard. And I've I've changed the way that I handle my social media used to be always protective of my follows and I would only befriend certain people and I'm still choosy, don't get me wrong, but I finally have the emotional energy to broaden that and functionally care for more people, care about more people than I ever have before. My emotional budget has never been stronger And I'm thankful that I can encourage as many as I do and hear as many painful life stories as I do because I've been through enough garbage in my life and I've seen enough redemption in my life that I have 100% faith that God can take care of everyone. And scripture says that he has not lost one. Jesus says that, you know, the father of all the father has given me, I have not lost one. And when you, like, I'm transplanting more glories, and some of them don't take in the new setup and they dry out and die. Like, so that meaning of like, I didn't lose one, that is, that is so precious to me. Because it, it, it just encourages me about how faithful God is as a gardener and tender, and um, I believe it's in Matthew where he says, a bruised reed I will not break, and a smoldering wick I will not snuff out. So he's, he truly, all that we need is faith like a mustard seed, because faith, when it is exercised in practice, it grows in, it grows exponentially. And my faith is now as strong as a mustard tree. 
so that I can encourage people and I can trust God with them. And I can also set that aside and I can listen to a heavy, heavy thing. And I can turn from that and I can welcome my husband when he comes home with a smile and focus on his needs and completely quote-unquote push it out of my mind but I'm really not pushing it out of my mind I am trusting God with that person like I I can't fake that this is this is something that God has developed in me and I am so so grateful I'm so so grateful that he's made me strong enough in trusting him that I can encourage other people and I can have faith to believe in his plans for them and that whatever they may be going through you know Jeremiah 29 says that I am sending you to Babylon you are going in time out you've been disobedient you've not been listening to me and Jeremiah was around the same time as Ezekiel I want to say Ezekiel predicted what Jeremiah experienced. So I think Ezekiel came first, but I don't know exactly. Bible scholars can tell you. I need to go read my I need to go read my commentary. So but that's that same era of just like total depravity and I'm going to use a wicked nation to discipline you because you're not you're not being obedient children. And I can't trust you. I can't bless you because you're taking my blessings and you're squandering them on your sin. So in that context of Jeremiah 29, he says this beautiful verse. For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for good. Plans to prosper you and give you a hope and a future. And he says that in the context of the hardest spanking. The most serious discipline. Like, do you realize Daniel was a young man, probably in his teens or maybe, you know, 20s, when they said, oh, you're young, smart, and bright. We're going to take you and we're going to make you a servant in the palace so that we can use your brains for our hierarchy. Like, they, they knew that human resource was the most valuable. I'm tangenting. I'm sorry. Hang with me. They knew human resource was as valuable as anything. And they said, oh, this one's smart and gifted. Let's, let's bring this young crop of smart kids. Like, you realize Daniel got emasculated and he was a eunuch. You realize that. So he had to deal with low testosterone his entire life. And... You know, the, the scripture doesn't tell us if, we got, if he got, ever got married or not. There's no mention of that. I mean, he might have, but he might not have. So, like, <laughs> um, and I mentioned Esther previously. Like, do you realize, like, oh, wow, Esther was beautiful and pretty. She married a king. Wow, that must have been nice. Uh, actually, like, you realize that when Mordecai tells her, you need to go to the king to ask about this genocide that's going to happen. She said, the king hasn't spoken to me in a, in, a, in a month. Dude. Ladies. The king's not sexually inactive. He's got a whole harem. She's the prize trophy, but do you think that their marriage looked anything like a healthy marriage? And yet that was God's plan for her? Now, in no way am I saying to stay in an abusive situation because Me Too movement and Church Too movement and um, I was so firm when my, my husband, when we were dating, said that, you know, a man is to treat his wife like he treats his own body. And so if a man physically abuses his wife, that to my, that to Ben is worthy of divorce. And I'd never read it like that. And I'm so thankful he did read it like that. Because there is, like, no. No. And a lot of the reason that marriage is emphasized in 
the Old and New Testament is because it's a form of physical security for the woman. It's to help the woman. And now those same verses are being misconstrued to keep abused women with husbands when they have the social recourse to divorce, be more healthy, and take care of themselves. And yes, it's heckin' hard work because, you know, wage gap and all that good stuff, but I digress. And I apologize if these opinions are not fully formed, but if you listen this far... You already have a lot of patience with me, so I appreciate that. I'm going to wrap up this whole podcast with a passage from Daniel. And this verse stood out to me back in 2011 or so, 2010. And I'm very thankful that this was the truth that began to crack away at the lie about what God called me to. Daniel 12, verse 3 and 4, English Standard Version, thank you, Crossway. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That is the original origin of stardom it's a manipulation of scripture but truly the people who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars forever and ever i want that i want that and i'm willing to pray and do the warfare that comes with it My name is Meg. I love my Jesus. And I believe in living inside out. Now it is your turn. Go and live it. Throwback from the Facebook memories today because this week I'm a crazy person. You know you're a writer when you have to wash ink out of your pillowcases. June something or other 2009. 2007. Yeah. One of those.